Welcome to the Clubs Without Borders Club Talk podcast. Well, Deb is still in lockdown in Sydney while Raf is back at work, with clubs in Coffs Harbour now back open for business. To everyone listening, all of us at Clubs Without Borders hope this finds you safe and well, and we're looking forward to seeing you when all of the restrictions are lifted and life starts to resemble something closer to what we consider normal. It's been a tough time, but with vaccination rates increasing, there is finally a light at the end of the COVID tunnel. Today, Deb and Raf chat to one of Australia's greatest ever sportswomen, Paralympian Louise Savage OAM, who needs no introduction. Louise is currently in isolation, having just returned from the Tokyo Paralympics, and we're excited to talk to her. So please welcome Deb and Raf. Hi, and welcome to our Clubs Without Borders Club Talk podcast, and hello to my co-host, the larger-than-life Mr John Rafferty. How are you, Raf? I'm very good, thanks, Deb, and um, it's lovely that we're going to be speaking with Louise Savage today. What a champion Louise is. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? So as you know, you and I have had this conversation many times over the years. I think we have a lot of acquaintances, and you and I certainly know a lot of people in the industry, but most people have a small group of friends that I'd call real friends, and they're the people that you mightn't see all the time, but when you do, it just comes naturally. These are the people that you can say anything to, and if you're feeling a bit down or you need someone to talk to, they're the person you can pick up the phone to. So today we're going to speak to one of my dearest friends, Louise Savage OAM, and we're very excited to have her. I could tell you that Louise is one of the most beautiful people inside and out that I've ever known and has some sporting accomplishments that we don't have time to read in one podcast, to be honest. But to give you an idea, Lou's often regarded as one of the most renowned sportswomen with a disability in Australia and I would argue the world. So you're ready for this, Raf? Yep. She has nine gold and four silver Paralympic medals representing four Paralympics. She's won Paralympic gold medals across every distance between 100 metres and 5,000 metres. She has two gold and one bronze medal from three appearances in 800-metre demonstration races at the Olympic Games, including gold at the Sydney 2000 Olympics, which I was honoured to be at. She has 12 gold and two silver medals at three World Para-Athletic World Championships. She's won four Boston marathons, and I'm very honoured to have her Boston marathon glove frame downstairs on the wall, as well as marathons in Los Angeles, Hawaii, and other countries. Her recognition and achievements include the Medal of the Order of Australia in 1993, the Australian Paralympian of the Year, 1994, 1996, 1997 and 1998, the inaugural Laureus World Sports Person of the Year with a disability in 2000, the Sports Australia Hall of Fame in 2007, the Australian Paralympic Hall of Fame in 2011 and the Sports Australia Hall of Fame legend in 2019. Lou was selected to light the Paralympic cauldron with the Sydney 2000 Paralympics, which I think we all remember, and to carry the flag for the Australian team at the Athens 2004 Paralympic opening ceremony, and what I think is very cool. She has a Sydney ferry, street and pathway named after her, as well as numerous school sporting houses around Australia. Now, I remember, Raph, I went to Lou's 30th birthday a few years back on the Louise Sauvage Ferry, and I was very excited. I thought it was very cool. Yeah, that's fantastic, isn't it? So that's our achievements, and that's all we've got time for today, unfortunately, guys. So, nah, kidding. Uh, so please welcome my friend, Louise Savage. Hi, Lou. Hi. Thank you very much. That was a very massive introduction, and I'm very humble. Thank you. <laughs> You're a bit of an underachiever, though, aren't you? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, Lou, it's fantastic. You know, it's a real honour to actually be able to have you on our podcast to actually speak to you because your achievements have been so inspiring for so many other people, and particularly 
persons with disabilities to actually be able to see what you've done and then try and model themselves on trying to achieve as well. Yeah, I think for anybody, I suppose, it doesn't really matter whether you have a disability or not. But yeah, I, I suppose it just shows what is possible. If you can't see it, you can't do it. And I think that's very true for a lot of people with disability as well as not. So hopefully, you know, people can see what other people can do and think, oh, yeah, I might have a go at that. So <laughs> I think that's the most important things that, you know, you can see what people are doing and the exposures there. Absolutely, Lou. And one of my good mates, he's a person without a disability and he thinks you are the most outstanding athlete. And I was fortunate enough, Deb, I was able to get one of your books signed for him and he treasures that book. So it's fantastic. <laughs> I think it's just wonderful what you've achieved. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been pretty full on and the journey continues, I suppose. And You know, what's next? <laughs> exactly. I could see a rest very excited to talk to you, Lou. <laughs> Yeah, Actually, yeah, my exactly. friend, happy birthday for the weekend, Luke. Thank you very much. We're currently in lockdown, but of course, you've just come back from Tokyo, so you're isolating at home. So how was your birthday? Yeah, it was really good. Obviously, I'm in quarantine, get out very, very soon. But yeah, definitely a birthday that I won't forget. Yeah, I had a lot of people on Zoom and different forms of video calls and things like that. So it was definitely one that I won't forget in a hurry. And it was great to see a lot of different people and catch up. Yeah, it'd be good to catch up in person. I can't wait, mate. And you're from Western Australia, so how's mum doing? Yeah, no, they're going all right. They had a dinner party on Saturday night and also joined me on a video chat, which was great. So, yeah, no, she's going all right. It'd be really nice to get back there for Christmas, but, again, we'll have to wait and see about that one. Yeah, we'll see about that because John's parents are also in WA. Yeah, Lou, uh, I have the same problem as you. It's very difficult. They don't look like opening the borders till after Christmas, unfortunately. My parents are 92 and 91, so it's a very difficult time when you can't get to see them at this time. Uh, So I appreciate the same problem for yourself at the moment. So there's a lot of us on the eastern side where our parents are in Western Australia. It makes it very difficult in these times. Yeah, it's very frustrating, and I wish they would open up to a certain extent, maybe for people that are fully vaccinated. I don't know. You know, we'll have to wait and see, but I live in hope. (laughs) Consistency across the country would be really good. Yes, be lovely. So, Lou, you were born in Perth with a congenital spinal condition. By the age of 10, had gone through 21 operations. Tell us a bit about that and how you ended up in sport. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of the operations, which is great. I just remember being at the hospital and that was kind of my second home. So I didn't really know any different. I just thought that everyone did that. But yeah, my disability um, is a combination of a few different things. So unfortunately, from lots of things in the internet and that, it does say lots of different things but yeah a bit of a combination of this and that but if anyone knows a spinal column it's about t11 t12 incomplete paraplegia so i have some feeling some movement but i don't weight bear or anything like that and it's where my spinal cord wasn't formed properly so that's kind of my disability in a nutshell but I was actually introduced into swimming at a very young age and was with a lot of other children with similar disabilities to myself. So a bit of a learning curve of not only a vital skill that everyone I suppose should learn and that's to swim, but also a learning curve for my parents because they got to meet lots of other kids with similar disabilities. So it was really good. But it wasn't until I was about eight years old, I was at a regular school and participated in as much sport as I possibly could. But yeah, it wasn't until I was about that age that I was introduced to wheelchair sports and that was through a come and try day in Western Australia and I think my world opened up after that. (laughs) You became quite good at it. Yeah, it was fantastic. I loved it. There was lots of other children with similar disabilities myself. I could compete. 
And if you know me, which you do, I'm only slightly competitive. So uh, slightly, yeah, that's slightly. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why I loved it. <laughs> this is not a girl to play Trivial Pursuit with, Raf. Obviously not. Not sure that's my strong point, but <laughs> <laughs> you're competitive with everything, Lou. I try to be. Lou, I understand that you started swimming at around three years of age and. When did you find out that you liked wheelchair racing? Because, you know, you said at eight you started to be attracted to that sort of athletics. So what really attracted you to it? Yeah, I got my first race chair when I was about eight. We used to borrow chairs from the Sports Association or have them made. And I remember my first race chair being quite heavy and having speed wobble and all kinds of things. And But I thought it was pretty cool at the time. But, yeah, I mean, I think I just loved it. I loved the speed, seeing how fast I could go and challenge myself to everyone else and yeah individual sport was probably even better for me as opposed to the team sports but yeah I loved it absolutely loved it. So when and why did you move to New South Wales Lou? I moved in 97 obviously the games were going to be in Sydney in 2000 and I'd had probably my best success at Atlanta in Paralympics my most successful games but it still didn't really have any corporate sponsors or anything like that and it wasn't until the games were definitely going to be in Sydney that there were lots of different things ramping up I suppose and to be able to access and to be able to serve as sponsors and be a part of it all I really needed to be on the east coast of Australia so I made the decision to actually move to Sydney because that's where it was all happening so I could be part of it and obviously train here and yeah, be involved in everything I possibly could and make the most out of the opportunities that were presented to me. So that was my reason for moving and I've never gone back. <laughs> so Lou, what were the most difficult challenges for you as an athlete? Um, I suppose any athlete has the same kind of challenges between not being able to do different things that they want to do or sponsorship or equipment or facilities or support or just the time and effort I suppose it takes to being number one I think all the challenges that I had were very similar to any athlete I suppose trying to get to the top I think making a living is probably one of the biggest things for a lot of athletes that are not professional sports you know to keep going Um, you hear some crazy crazy stories about athletes selling cars to go on tours and doing whatever it takes, you know, even with their diet and things like that, just to be able to make it, if you know what I mean. So I think that's probably the biggest cost factor in some sports. But for me, I I think, you know, I was supported very much by my family and my friends and lucky enough to get some sponsors along the way. And one of my biggest expenses was my race chair and equipment and also travel. You know, being in Australia, we have to actually travel a fair bit to get the competition and to be on the world scale. So come 2000, I was fortunate to get a number of sponsors and I'm very grateful for that and for them to see the future and how it's changed even now. I mean, that's over 20 years ago. So it's fantastic to see the change within my sport and the recognition given to athletes. So what's the price range of a chair, Lou? These days, it's pretty expensive. Um, you can get probably a racing chair frame and just the frame alone between five and seven grand. And then you've got the wheels and they're between probably three and four grand, depending on what you get, carbon fibre, probably top of the range and things like that, which probably isn't as expensive compared to some other sports. But yeah, it's still a lot of money if you want to get involved. And something I do is try and recycle as much as I can from other athletes and some of the elite guys who move on with their equipment and 
also racing chair frames and, you know, they're all custom. So it's very difficult to find someone to fit that one that someone else is not using now. So, sure, but it's, it's ongoing. <laughs> it, it is. And it's fortunate now, Lou, that you actually have more funding for athletes now than we ever had before, which has you know, always been the difficulty for athletes going through. And as you said, you know, how difficult it was when you first started. And also we have a lot of Olympic athletes, disability and also able-bodied ones who actually are in the same boat, you get so much admiration for these people, for what they give up so they can actually achieve exactly what you've done. You know, the admiration I have for you and all the people that I know is just fantastic what you've done. And you were really the groundbreaker that's given other people greater opportunities today. I think it's important to recognise that what people have sacrificed. I think a lot of people watch the Olympics and Paralympics every four years, but don't really realise what went into that. And the sacrifices and, you know, most people just see the finished result, but all the work behind the scenes, you know, their support team and their crew and their family and friends and everyone that's contributed in some way or not to making that performance happen. So, yeah, I think it's really important that people realise that it's not just getting out there, it's just so much more. (laughs) And I probably realise that more now being a coach. Because you were training six days a week, weren't you, Lou? Yeah, definitely. And my athletes still train six days a week. I was doing a lot of different sessions and it was pretty full on. I think I learned a lot from the way I was coached and also the sessions that I did as to what to do and what not to do now as a coach myself. And what I want for my athletes more than anything is longevity in the sport and injury prevention. And that's something I definitely focus on with their programs and also our support group. Could you tell some of our listeners how hard you trained and the sacrifices that need to be made to be successful and what the changes are now that you're coaching, you know, as we have greater knowledge of how we need to train and how we do things today when years ago it used to be more hard work and they just overload you? Yeah, I think I was definitely, I did a lot more work than I probably needed to and probably cut my career a little bit shorter, but there's a lot more facilities and also recovery options and support given to the athletes now which is fantastic. So for me, doing 11 or 12 sessions a week is probably not the smartest thing, but we still do with my athletes now. We still train six days a week in the race chair and between two and three sessions in the gym. And on top of that, there's so many other things that they do, recovery sessions, nutrition, their mental health. There's lots of different things that they do now just to try and stay on top of it. So it is a very full-on process and I'm I'm grateful for the environment in which I work because I have so many people to go to with great knowledge. I am a coach, but I'm not expected to know all the expertise that go around it. You know, I have a physiologist, I have a nutritionist device, I have all the medical and physio doctor, all that kind of stuff around me that I can go to and get the best of everyone's advice to put into my program. So things have probably changed a lot since I was racing. And of course, as you mentioned before, funding is greater too. And if you're at the top of your field, then you can be an athlete and not have to stress too much about making a living on top of that because you do get greater funding, which is fantastic. And I'm grateful that maybe I did have a small part in that. I'm not sure. But yeah, definitely things have changed for the better. I don't think it was a small part, my friend. <laughs> With so many sporting achievements, this is going to be a tough question, but is there any one event that's your most memorable? So I'm guessing Sydney hosting the Games is going to be up there, and, of course, I was in the stadium. Well, yeah, there's probably two more than anything. Definitely Sydney. Um, I'm totally biased because, you know, I was going to say that they're the best Paralympics ever. But, um, yeah, I think having a home Games in the prime of your career as any athlete's dream, it was also extremely 
stressful time. But, you know, apart from my individual performances, obviously I won gold, but I think I was just so proud that we did such a good job. Unfortunately, four years earlier in Atlanta, Paralympics were not great and it was very frustrating. And, and knowing that we had the Games next, I really wanted to make sure that we did a bloody good job and we did. And I think the precedence has been set from those Games and it's continued on. The legacy has just gotten bigger and, and better and I think it's the way the athletes should be treated and they deserve the respect that they get now. So, yeah, I'd have to say that Sydney, you know, I was, I was very proud to be Australian and I heard international athletes come up to us and say, we're on the front page, the back page of the paper with a headline story on the news and it's just unheard of, I suppose, back then for athletes with a disability to be included in that way. So, yeah, I was extremely proud to be Australian and to know that we did a bloody good job. So Sydney would have to be one of them and I'd, I'd have to say, and you already mentioned it at the start there, that winning the Boston Marathon as well, in my day, that was the most prestigious race and the one that everyone wanted to win and most high profile and there was one particular lady called Jean Driscoll and every time she had entered the race, she had won it. So I was like, oh, just up against her, let alone the actual marathon. So, yeah, it was kind of cool to win that. And I, I did win that a few times, almost a sprint finish, which is a bit silly in a marathon. But anyway, it happens all the time, apparently. <laughs> Got across the line first. Yes, I did. So, yeah, Boston's probably one of the biggest things in my career as well. It's such a great rivalry and we had great press coverage and, yeah, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, really good time. I was going to say, what about Tokyo? How was Tokyo and COVID? Tokyo, obviously, I've been to a number of Paralympics and they're all very different and this one was very different again. I think Paralympics Australia did a great job in keeping us safe and, you know, we were all vaccinated before we left. We had a lot of restrictions put on us in the village and also at the actual Paralympics. As opposed to the Olympic athletes, we weren't allowed to go to the dining hall to eat. We were to go to the transportation to our individual sports and back to our allotment, which is, you know, where we lived and that, and we ate and slept there and we weren't to mix or mingle with any other countries. So it was very different to what I've experienced in the past. But also I think we all understood why and we're very compliant in that reason because, you know, we wanted to stay, stay safe too, but also the main thing was the opportunity to be able to compete and such a long haul five years to get to there and we didn't want to screw it up then, I suppose. But, yeah, very, very different games. But I think the most important thing, as I said, was the guys got to compete. Absolutely. The Olympics are once every four years, and this one was five years for the COVID one in Japan. But, you know, you mentioned about the highlights with Sydney, and I think about the enormous pressure with you being such an outstanding athlete, you know, people's expectation for you to win. How did you cope with that? That's one of the things that's really hard for people, you know, when you represent your country in your own country. And I was just wondering how you really coped with that. Yeah, there was a lot of pressure in Sydney for myself, a lot of pressure that I put on myself, but also other people. And you definitely did feel it got to the point where people would kind of say to you, oh, I'm not going to wish you luck. You'll win for sure. And I'm like, oh, crikey, that's a bit daunting. But yeah, that's the kind of comments sometimes you got, which was very frustrating. But yeah, there's a lot of pressure to compete. And I think um, athletes do feel it even more when a home game is on. I remember in Commonwealth Games for Madison in 2018 on the Gold Coast there and she felt extremely pressured to compete and also to do well because it was in Australia and she just felt so stressed out about it. But I totally get that. 
I think you've just got to put it back into perspective and, you know, you've done all the hard work and just get out there and, and do your job, I suppose, and do the best you absolutely can and you're prepared for this. So it is something difficult. I think some people do crumble under the pressure, but I don't know, we try and look at it as a positive and use it in your advantage. It was the same as going into Tokyo, not knowing what any of the other races had been up to because we literally have not competed internationally for two years. Sure. Madison found that also extremely difficult. So tried to look at that as a positive also. They didn't know what she'd been up to. So, so yeah, trying to turn it around to a certain extent and then just get through it and really make some solid plans so that, you know, she didn't have to try and stress and think about things too much. A great insight to how it would have been. So how was life as an outstanding athlete and the pros and cons that go with it? I think there's a lot of, obviously, pros. (laughs) Even now, it's so nice to be still involved in my chosen sport at such a high level. I absolutely love my sport. So it's fantastic to still be involved and get invited to a number of different things and be a part of different things as well, mentoring roles, coaching roles, to still be involved and be able to share your knowledge. I think that's a lot of the pros and I love the environment that I'm in, that I have that ability to be able to do that. So it's fantastic. I think a lot of the cons for a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, is some of the downsides of doing your sport at such a high level. And this was something for me as well. You kind of lost and think, oh, what do I do now? I think that's really tough for a lot of athletes. And I think that's been highlighted a fair bit in the last few years, which is fantastic. I think people are recognizing that it is a big thing on on people's mental health to not know what they do after being such a successful athlete or if they don't have any plans or the come down from that is just massive. So I think there are a lot of pros and cons for me. I'd have to say the pros have outweighed the cons. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And, And in 2004, we know you transferred your skills into training the next generation of athletes. And we know you first coached Angie Ballard, and that's the current national coach for the wheelchair track and road program. You coached Madison de Rosario, who was amazing and took out two gold and a bronze at the recent Tokyo Paralympics. So tell us not only about the amazing performances, especially Madison, but how the games were in COVID. You know, for the athletes particular, in not having crowds, you know, like everybody loves the crowds and that sort of can drive you to the greater experience and the greater height. So how did they cope with that? I think a lot of the athletes obviously knew that that was going to be the case. We'd watched the Olympics before we actually left. And at the end of the day, I think everyone was just happy to be there and to compete. And as much as they didn't have massive crowds, you know, a lot of our support crew and when athletes finished competing, they were allowed to go to their particular sports and cheer on their teammates, which was fantastic. So I think at the end of the day that they knew that everyone was supporting them back home and people were seeing what they were doing, which was fantastic. And, you know, the responses they got from home, that the coverage here was fantastic. So I think at the end of the day, the crowds didn't matter. It was just all about the competition and getting down to it. Sure, they would have loved crowds, but you know what? I think we had crowds at home, which was It's absolutely brilliant. And as you mentioned, Madison did get two gold and a bronze, the gold in the 800 metres, which she was extremely dominant. Great race plan. Uh, (laughs) And then, of course, the marathon, which was very exciting and stressful at the same time for me and her, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) That lifted everybody's spirits in COVID, though. Everybody watching that on TV just lifted all our spirits. It did. 
Yeah, I think everyone enjoyed the games and, you know, obviously after the Olympics were over, then the Paralympics rolled on and then, of course, that finished and everyone's like, oh, okay. So, yeah, I think it was fantastic. A lot of people around the country, obviously, in lockdown and are stuck indoors. So it was great to have that kind of thing, I suppose, to look on. And it was a really good time zone to actually be able to have the opportunity to watch them live, which was fantastic too. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was only an hour difference, which is probably one of the closest Paralympics that I've been to apart from China. So it's really nice to not have to travel as far. Yep. So there's so many things we could talk about. We could talk about crossing the Harbour Bridge, the Olympic relay, which I'll always remember you doing, lighting the cauldron, which must have been super special and all those amazing moments. And then you published your autobiography, which Raf's got a copy, I've got a copy. And then you set out and established the Louise Savage Aspire to be a champion foundation. So you are a bloody champion, my friend. What does the foundation do? Yeah, unfortunately, the foundation is not very active at the moment. It was initially set up to, and it still is, to give some assistance to aspiring athletes that haven't represented Australia yet, but are aspiring to get to that next level. So they're on the cusp of it. And there was money given out to those athletes in grants. And that was to help with their preparation towards achieving their goals to pay for equipment or training or travel. There was a number of things that they could use that funding for. I still have the foundation and I still raise money in different ways. And we don't have a scholarship program at the moment, but potentially in the future, we'll we'll start it up again in terms of giving out some funding in that respect. But I still raise the money and I do distribute some equipment to athletes and hopefully we'll be doing a little bit of that towards the end of this year as well. Fantastic. And I know you and I have spoken about this before. So we use the term athlete with a disability. The reality is, in all these years that I've known you, you're stronger, fitter and more able than I'll ever be. (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely it is. You put me to shame, quite frankly. But having said that, you face some challenges and I've been around for some of those. I remember the incident where they wouldn't let you on the plane. Do you remember that? Yes. There's been lots of things. I think every time I get to an airport, I'm ready for a fight with an airline. Lots of people don't know their rights and, and what should happen and what shouldn't happen. And depending on which airline and who you get on the day, it can really determine on, I suppose, the different experience you have on that day as well, unfortunately. So, yeah, I have there had the incident where I wasn't allowed to travel because they deemed I needed a carer. And I found that very frustrating and also discriminatory. So there's been a lot of different things with airlines over the years, and I'm sure it'll continue to not stock standard across the board there. And But we travel as much as we can and we will see. Yeah, I remember being really angry myself that day, but it's got to be getting better. I'd like to think it's getting better. Yeah, I think so. It's not too bad. As I said, sometimes, you know, you get the wrong person or a great person. And, yeah, depending on the airline that you travel with also depends. But, yeah, I like to think it's getting better too. But, yeah, sometimes I think I'll just wait and see when I get to the airport. (laughs) It's disappointing that that has to be the case, though, Luke. If they standardised everything and made it a lot easier for people, that would be a much better scenario for all. Yeah, the problem with that is, though, they they do want to put you all in the same box. They do want to put you all in one category, which is not correct. We're all different. 
will have different needs and different abilities. Like I don't appreciate being pushed through an airport in an airline chair. That is not my preferred method, but some people don't care. And, you know, for someone who is elderly and cannot walk that far, then that is perfectly fine. And that is a great way for them to be able to see, you know, their loved ones and get to baggage carousel. But for me, no, personally, that is very embarrassing. And you've taken away my right of, of my independence and I can't handle that. So it is very different and that's unfortunately that's what the airlines want to do. They want to put you all in the same category. And I'm yeah. sorry, but I don't have the same needs as other people. And that's really what I meant with the standardization is that be a bit more open, you know, for people who can actually still get themselves around, you know, whereas some other people, you know, find it a lot easier to be pushed around in a wheelchair that they've got, you know, which would be much better if you can take your own. You're more comfortable with that and everything else. Yeah, we all have our own individual needs and, and differences and they recognise that it's sometimes very difficult. Different people have different needs and different disabilities yeah. and so that's very frustrating when you are put in the one category. Yeah. So what do you like doing most now with the many different facets of your life and would you have done anything differently when reflecting on your achievements? Oh, probably no, I wouldn't have done anything differently. No regrets, you know, let's move forward. It is what it is. And I've had an amazing career through my sporting achievements and hopefully I can stay involved as much as I can in my chosen sports. So I suppose no regrets, definitely. No, I just look forward to hopefully getting more athletes involved and they can have as many experiences, if not more, as I did. So, yeah. That's fantastic. So what tips do you have for our listeners to help them get the most out of themselves? Because, you know, you've obviously done that and, and you're so positive in everything you speak and how you speak to actually make your achievements happen. I suppose you never know what's around the corner. I think an important thing is to make the most of opportunities that arise, make up your own minds and, and talk to different people. I think my mom always used to worry about what I was going to do next or where something was going to happen. But then she was always, you know, something always pops up. You always find your way. And I think also it's important for people to know that if you don't succeed or you start on one path, but you figure out that that's not where you want to go, it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to go down another path and seek another avenue. That's just all about learning. You gain more experiences from everything that you do and may not be the way you thought it was going to be, but that's okay. Let's try something else and move forward all the time. Just gain from every experience that you have. So I think that's the most important thing. Go out there and have a go and see what happens and see who you meet and who you get to talk to and experience. No, that's fantastic. Yep. Yeah, so when you look at all our accomplishments, Raf, it's not just wheelchair sports. I've been to many a basketball game. <laughs> oh, many no. ocean swims she's done ocean swims so you got to wonder where she finds all the spare time for the charity work that she does raf and she's done some stuff with me but if there's a charity that needs a hand louise savage is the first person there oh i'd like to do a lot of charity stuff it's i suppose the heart and soul of how i got involved as well with people giving a hand and and if you can then that's a hundred percent i think it's so rewarding and absolutely to see the benefits of what people gain just from even the smallest things, people don't realise sometimes the small things do matter. And that's, I think, very, very important for people to realise. You suck at selling raffle tickets, by the way. I've never bought a raffle ticket off your one. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but I've <laughs> sold a lot, so that's the main thing. You've sold a lot. You have sold a lot. <laughs> you're a television star. You're in an episode of Neighbours. 
Oh, yes, I did Neighbours and Home and Away at one stage, which is quite funny, actually. But a long, long time ago, how funny is that? <laughs> yeah, Lou, that would have been uh, build their rating, so you, you definitely would have helped them there. <laughs> I don't know about that. My extremely talented acting career, not. <laughs> so we have a mutual love of dogs at trying new restaurants. What else do you do in your spare time, Lou? Oh, spare time. Yeah, love dogs. Um, don't have any at the moment, but that's okay. I think something that COVID's probably taught us more than anything is trying to catch up with people and have all those moments, you know, go out for dinner if someone asks you or catch up with people online. And, and you know, it's, it's important to stay in touch. And I think that's probably something that we should all do more of. And that's what I've probably learnt and something that I enjoy more than anything. And you don't realise that it's been taken away from you until it has, obviously. That's the same for a lot of people. So I'd have to say, you know, catching up with friends and doing fun things then going outside my comfort zone as much as I can. <laughs> and Lee, what would you like to say to our listeners in closing? It's been a wonderful experience for me to have this chat with you and the outstanding accomplishment you've done in your life. And I know there'll be even more that you're going to do in the future. So what would you like to say to our listeners? I suppose just thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it and being able to share my story. And yeah, just really appreciate it and hope everyone can get out of lockdown and get back to some kind of normal, whatever that ends up being, and just try and live their life and enjoy it and take those opportunities. No, thank you. It's quite unbelievable. I've known you both 20 years. You've only met once in passing and that was an award ceremony one day. That was an award for you, Deb. It was. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Raph, I was quick to whisper in Lou's ear that day. Now I've got a medal too. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have to trade for mine. I amused myself, no end. <laughs> Lou, I'll just tell you a quick story. When you're coming back from Tokyo, there was a Qantas lady on the plane. She was so excited. She sent me a text that said she recognised you as soon as you got on. And she wants to know what skincare you use because you look so sensational. <laughs> so that's my only complaint. You have aged substantially. You haven't aged a day since the day I met you. Yeah, right. I don't know about that. <laughs> I do remember her on the plane. She was very lovely. That was really nice of her. I can't believe she texted you. <laughs> yeah. No, I just moisturize and I don't know, don't do that. I wear sunscreen a lot though because I do a lot of outdoor training. So yeah, I'm a big convert to sunscreen and not getting too burnt, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, that's where I came unstuck. Too many years in the sun, I reckon. Shocker. <laughs> but as you know, I turn 60 soon, so uh, we've had to defer my little celebration. But next year, we'll definitely catch up with Raph there. Awesome. Yes, yep. I look forward to it. I put the date down already. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks for joining us, Lou. Congratulations on all your amazing accomplishments. You're an inspiration to all of us, and I'm very fortunate to have you as a friend, my friend. And I know Raf has been very excited to talk to you today. Thank you very much for having me. I do appreciate it, and it's lovely to be part of your podcast. That's fantastic. Thanks, Lou. We can't wait to see you in person. Yes, me too. Pick a restaurant, Lou. I'm, I'm ready. Radio. <laughs> Take care, sweetheart. Have a great day. Thank you, too. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you, John Rafferty. Thank you to the sensational Louise Savage, an absolute champion of the country. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a lovely day and take care. We look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. See ya.